0: His name is Heston Blumenthal. He is one of the most inquisitive and creative chefs on the planet, with a knowledge of food quite unlike anyone else. And now Heston is taking us on a journey to the centre of food, deep inside ingredients and dishes we all recognise to reveal the hidden secrets inside them and hopefully change how we view cooking and eating forever. Heston, good to see you. You right? Great to see
1: you. And yes...
0: Also joining us, of course as ever, is our Fact Duck producer, James. Hello, James. How's it going? Hi, gentlemen. Very good. I've made myself a cup of tea for this episode. I oh. thought that was appropriate. But this is not the first time we've seen each other this week. While it's old hat for you, for the first time, I think, in my whole career, I stepped from behind the camera, pushing all the buttons, to in front of the camera because the Waitrose Food and Drink Festival, which is obviously online this year, asked us to do a, a video version of this podcast for the festival which was really good fun but super strange jay was that really was that the first time i think i've never been in camera apart from like interviews and stuff occasionally done when you're filming something and the local news turn up and just ask you what's going on i've never been in front of camera before and for very
1: obvious reasons i think i think you should take this as a potential future another day job <laughs> because it, i would never have known <laughs> i couldn't see what you would look like because. look on my screen, you were so tiny. Made, for me, that made it really difficult to do because I was sort of meant to be discussing. And we were chatting about different parts of the duck and brae and the hind's head, and you were tasting things, but I couldn't see them i could barely see you had a blue jacket on
0: and it was very strange from my perspective because you were a disembodied head so you were on a on a monitor and you were sort of heston's head and body of trolley and i just carried you around with me which is quite a useful way of moving you around underneath
1: my arm just moving you from place to place maybe that's that, that we've we've learned something from the podcast going forward well, no, I'd like to be able to put it back on sometimes. I do. Luckily, it's screwed on.
0: I was getting to taste a load of the new range you've got coming out uh, this year with Waitrose. And it wasn't a plug. It was genuinely really interesting. Just, uh, well, you were talking and I was just eating and drinking, which is fine. I can definitely do that. That's playing to my strength. And, and
1: cocktail, mate. Bar making. <laughs> I screwed that right up, though, didn't I? It's shaking the espresso martini to get that lovely crema coffee froth on top of the drink. I couldn't see, but I could hear. I could hear the rhythm. <laughs> I had James behind camera, literally miming how to sh- I've never shaked,
0: shaken a cocktail shaker properly before. And he was he was like, do this. I was like, oh, right. Still screwed it up. Got it completely wrong. They had to do it again afterwards. I did want to mention to everyone out there, in the run-up to Christmas, we are going to be running another one of our uh, Q&A sessions with Heston, another mailbag episode coming up very soon, in which Heston can answer every and any question that you have to do with Christmas and beyond. And please, send us well, your craziest
1: thoughts. Yeah, you can have a go. I can have a go at answering.
0: <laughs> yeah, and don't but just, don't just focus, focus on Brussels go. sprouts. We want everything out there. Anything you've ever done yourselves, any ideas, as crazy as you want,
1: send them in. Yes, please, send them in. Christmas disasters, nightmares. I've had enough myself of those. <laughs> it's slightly wallowing in other people's misfortunes um, to slightly uh, help make me feel better about myself. But but actually, at Christmas, we talk about all the wonderful, nostalgic, warm, human connectivity, food-related memories of Christmas and what Christmas means to us. But in reality, there's an awful lot of people that have had an awful lot, lot of stress and disasters or hiccups, let's say, around Christmas. And I think sharing those with humour could be quite potentially cathartic. <laughs> I have a few of
0: those. A few of them orientated yeah. around trying to cook the Heston products and not reading the instructions at all and getting oh, it completely. Do you know,
1: I remember they're both, both I can say now because they've, they've both, well, all three of them have passed away. My mother, my father, and my grandmother, my, uh, my dad's mum. And my, not unusually, my dad's mum and my mother didn't always see eye to eye and christmas morning we lived in buckinghamshire my grandmother was uh, in london and she called she was about to set off for the uh, journey out to the to the country to the sticks and she said "Stephen, that was my dad's name i've uh, i've made all the vegetables so meanwhile my mum has been tirelessly slaving over the stove for oh. the last couple of days preparing all the vegetables oh. Dad did what any typical um, lion hearted male would do. Thought, right, how am I going to get out of this? <laughs> so he didn't want to upset either of them. You know what he said? He said, Well, see, that's my mum, she's, she's made the vegetables. And my grandson said, Well, yeah, well, I've, I've got them. I'm, and they're this, that, and the other. I'm bringing them down. He said, Well, this is possibly one of the worst things he could have said. He said, Bring them down and we'll have a look at them.
0: Oh, no. That's basically Samuel is best.
1: Oh, my God. Christmas Day, Christmas lunch, was a table of mixed vegetables cooked in different ways with differing temperatures. (laughs) I think my mum still had a dressing gown on and three Christmas hats on, and my gran had two or three Christmas hats piled on top, and my dad sat there, and now looking at what I now know was guilt city it was an interesting christmas lunch <laughs> so we want to hear all your christmas memories
0: please and questions please send them into uh, heston's podcast at gmail.com uh, or on the instagram at heston's podcast and obviously anything else you want to share as well we'll always take it and talk about it and listen to it um but in terms of today obviously we're in need of, of comfort food and things and and equally we are quite enjoying stoking the uh, nostalgic controversy that we have so far with with chocolate bars uh, and also talking about cups of tea so it feels f- for us to finish the trinity there is one other food item left to go heston what are we talking about today begins with a b ends
1: in a t and has an isqui in the middle of it <laughs> and a lot of dunking as well a lot of well a lot of dunking a lot of dunking which can also come with Um, its own fair share of controversy. Mm,
0: Indeed. Biscuits. We are delving into the wonderful world of biscuits today, from from the jammy dodgers right back to the very first origins of biscuits and all the other things that Heston's going to reveal to us along the way. So I suppose the question is, Heston, when it
1: comes to biscuits, where do we begin? You could look at a biscuit. uh, Where do you begin? Look at a biscuit as a flatbread. I was going to say, uh, I was going to say, a sweetened flatbread, but in fact, a cream, a Jacob's cream cracker, or a gars water biscuit, are also biscuits. Now, the origin of the name biscuit comes from uh, bi Kui, bi Kui, twice cooked, and it was taking a, a sort of a, a bread and then crumbling it up and mixing it with more ingredients and baking it again. So Naples biscuits, uh, James. I'm sure will will um, either either um, tell me when I'm wrong or give me some key dates and some nuggets of gold, extra information about this. But um, I remember when we were doing some work on the trifle, and a trifle started from a, I think a syllabub, and then there was the addition. There wasn't. I don't think there was any jam at the beginning, and then and then the fruit. Um, came along and then the biscuit came along it was a Naples biscuit and they were all served separately on the table and you could have you basically dunked bits it's a bit like a cream tea I suppose and then it formed into a layered um, a layered dessert in the 1600s but the Naples biscuits were twice-baked biscuits with caraway seeds.
0: Have you tried that? That sounds like a really interesting taste.
1: Yeah, we, we a lot. At dinner, in the Mandarin, we used to serve a little pot of like a chocolate mousse or chocolate sort of, you know, the inside of a chocolate truffle with a caraway biscuit. And the, the biscuit was twice-cooked. It was a shortbread. Um, And what you do with that is you make your shortbread dough, which we'll come on to later. It's quite important. Um, It's called shortbread because the pastry is short. It's a bit of an oxymoron, actually, because when you... I've just thought of this. When you make bread, you want the dough to be elastic, to have gluten, Mm -hmm. because that elasticity allows the escaping air to create the bubbles and the lightness. But that's not a short dough. It's a long dough. It's long and stretchy. So when you make shortbread... Mm -hmm. It really is literally short, so you want it really crumbly. That's where the sort of the shortness comes from. <laughs> and that will determine the technique in the recipes. So we ha- we made um, a shortbread dough with a lot of butter in it, rolled it out, baked it as one big sheet, and then just broke it up, put it into the mixer, and added more cold butter to it. So like you're, instead of mixing the butter and the flour, you're now mixing the broken up, biscuit the crumbed biscuit mix with more butter and then you put it back in the oven and it, you couldn't roll it out you cut it with a with a biscuit cutter <laughs> and they're really incredibly delicate buttery biscuits but to produce that for the sort of in the supermarket world the mass mass market world they would not withstand any form of transport because they're so delicate so we were serving these caraway biscuits little little sort of sticks a biscuit to, to dip into, they were just about strong enough to dip into this soft, rich chocolate ganache, which was flavoured with Earl Grey tea. Ooh. Tea and biscuits and chocolate, Vicar?
0: Oh, yes, please. And 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 interestingly, I've been sort of delving around a bit in the history of this, and I, I know that James will have more details on this. But while, like you say, originated a long time ago, the sort of tradition of the biscuit uh, in terms of something that would happen around tea time and snacking seems to have only really kind of caught hold around the sort of first world war that's when the uh, the, the biscuits sort of kicked in as a as a real sort of global convenience
1: there is one argument to say that <clears throat> a lot of it was driven by the sort of boom of industrialization Obviously, industrialisation industrialization happened before the first world war but the but the the the, the reboom of industrialization and it and it, it was synonymous with the tea break so you, you'd have a break with a cup of tea and a biscuit.
0: One thing that caught my attention was the, the Garibaldi. The Garibaldi biscuit. Oh, uh, yeah. Apparently invented... Well, now, James, you can correct me on this, but it looks like it was invented in 1854 and was named after Giuseppe Garibaldi when he visited London. James, why don't you tell us about the Garibaldi?
2: Yeah, so the Garibaldi, as far as I, I, I found I, I had 1861, but uh, I guess there's probably a grey area about the exact date it was created. But it's... um. It's a kind of legacy of there was a lot of tradition in naming biscuits after members of the royal family. There's a lot of royalty connection with biscuits because obviously you're trying to get the royal seal of approval for your biscuit at this time of mass industrialization and commercialization. And obviously after the royal family, you head into the world of notable people. And obviously Gary Baldy at the time was was traveling the world raising money and finance to to fuel his his Revolutionary army in Italy with the attempt to unify all the different territories of, 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 um, of, of the Italian nation. And he came to England as part of that sort of fundraising and I think landed in Newcastle. There's some famous um, sort of stories of him sort of sailing into great f- sort of mass Ferrari in the streets and everyone's shouting the name of Garibaldi. And, and so they created a biscuit in his honor. And I, I, I'm not sure about this fact, but I, I believe some of the percentage of sales of the Gary Baldy biscuit were, were put towards that um, for his campaign. But anyway, it's a it's a, it's an interesting kind of note. It's one of the first celebrity endorsed products in the food world, as far as I'm aware. But uh, it's
1: a... <laughs> I don't wonder if there's any other. I'm just trying to think of royal family named biscuits. Oh, well, I do know
2: this one. The Bourbon. The Bourbon biscuit, the Victoria biscuits. There were biscuits named after sort of almost everybody but sort of uh, at the time that have disappeared they, they were constantly trying to name one after Queen Victoria um, but the name one after Osborne Biscuits
1: well I suppose you've got uh, I mean she made it to a sponge didn't she <laughs> I mean I, I don't mean that sadly the, the Hobnob Royal
0: family never got one named after them <laughs> <laughs> I don't, it's, it's so disappointing now that in our house
1: we call the Garibaldi squashed flies.
0: I don't know if that's just our uh, house or, yeah. or the people one, do No, that.
1: I remember squashed flies, and I do remember the gar. For me, the Garibaldi biscuit was a bit like the Figaro one, and there's an equivalent in chocolates like Quality Street. When you go when the tin or the the, the biscuit tin's nearly finished. It was always the Garibaldis or the fig rolls that were the ones that were left at the bottom.
0: <laughs> oh, I love those biscuit tins. I'd sort of forgotten about those. You know, I get—I'm lucky enough. I always ask for posh biscuits for Christmas, which for me is those M and S chocolate ones. But the proper biscuit tins, where you get like a little stack of three or four.
1: So as I say you mean
0: Waitrose. A oh, Waitrose. <laughs> oh, I'm joking. I hate M and S. Slackers, awful. <laughs> Cut
1: four Waitrose. Um, but yeah, the, yeah. so you were saying they're stacked. Those stacked.
0: Yeah, they just when they come in the little plastic—I know they still do them—but they are little plastic trays. It's very much reminds me of my grand's house, and they were always stacked three or four high. And like you say, there was the cookies, yeah. but the one that got left at the end was always the nice biscuit. Or what I think of is the the sort of granddaddy of all biscuits. And James might be able to correct me on this, but is the digestive for me that is the sort of what a biscuit is for me.
2: Well, yeah, and I, and I think what you've tapped into there is is the kind of another sort of part of the biscuit world, which is the medicinal biscuit you know, with the caraway and all the, and the figs, things were added to biscuits as, as to be a remedy for, for some kind of digestive issue. And often biscuits were eaten and, and given as a, as a soothing um, help, medicinal aid. Yeah, a
1: bit like spiced up dried bread, because in those days, I, th- I don't think, James, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that we, we now think the biscuits today have more fat, butter or fat, in them than then. They were more like, they were more like, uh, imagine a sort of biscotti. And I think, I think that we'd put the, the spices that would go in them and the dryness of them, they would maybe soak up impurities in your body and do other things, but.
2: Hmm. Historically they were, you know, the, the, the twice cooking process of the bread was a, was a preservation process. So you were trying to take that loaf of bread, which would feed you for whatever number of days and make it last even longer. So yeah. you know, that's very much for the, the sort of the dryness is really important, and often sometimes you would rehydrate them like a rusk with your soup or your gravy. Uh, like a
1: rusk, yeah, just yeah. like a rusk actually.
0: Well, that's why they were such good travel food as well. I mean, Huntley and Palmer and, and and the Biscuit Town, Reading, which we don't call it anymore, but it was called the Biscuit Town, and the football team is mm-hmm. still called the Biscuit Men, aren't they? But the, their biscuits were taken to the Arctic on. The, I think Scott had some of them with him, um, Antarctic with him, and I, I, I felt that. They were they were designed because they would travel for a long period of time and not go off, right?
2: Or if they did go off, you well, wouldn't notice. Well, they were. But, but there was an entire industry of people making biscuits for for the navy. You see, and so we, 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 the sort of journey of the biscuit world is a, is a two parallel strands between this idea of large distance transportation to feed armies and and people across the world, alongside the refinement and production of sugar. And so once you add sugar to your biscuit, you get what's called a fancy biscuit. So you had captain's sort of naval biscuits, and then you had fancy biscuits, which were for for home consumption, a treat. And and the two things developed at the same time. And and you're right to bring up Huntley Palmer. Uh, He had his great rival JD Carr, and they were the two big rivals in the biscuit-making world. Huntley Palmer were were Quakers and a little less ambitious in terms of commercialization and, and advertising, whereas Carr. He was the one who went straight in and got the the Royal Warrant and the celebrity endorsement and everything. He knew how to sell and he had, you know, had great ambitions to conquer the world with his biscuits.
0: Heston, your personal memories of biscuits when you were a kid, because that feels like the sort of time that the, the, the biscuits that we love get kind of lodged. What was your memories of him growing up?
1: Uh, well, one of the, th- maybe because we have just been talking about it, was the Boulders When I, uh, what I really thought I'd, get, I'd sneak, get a sneaky self-treat of a biscuit without permission, you open the tin, you get that wonderful biscuit tin smell, which don't let me forget. Let's come back to that because we explored that at Nottingham University. But this wonderful biscuits tin smell. And as the lid opens, you then just see at the bottom, there's some crumbed fig rolls. And broken up bits of Garibaldi. Oh. You think, oh. I'm getting such God. a massive memory with my parents' biscuit tin. Just the noise of it, putting oh. your fingernails under the edge of the rim as it opens up, and then that smell. It's like a, it's a, well, it's biscuity malty. I actually forget um, the the name of the molecule. Is a it, it's a, it's I think it's a from benzoate, but we. I remember, okay, now we're coming back to one of the, the, we did the afternoon tea, well, sorry, we did a TV show, Tea Break, which is different to afternoon tea. Tea Break is exactly that, people taking a break from working in a factory and having a big, a pot of, sharing a pot of tea and a biscuit. And the whole argument of dunking, and not dunking, which we'll come on to, but we 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 x-rayed a biscuit. A nano a nano scanner I think it was called we x-rayed a biscuit and then we had a synth an artificial nose called the M something like MS nose and it was a lever that came off a computer like an arm with a little tube on the end of it and you put this tube just inside your nostril and you had to program the computer to look for a particular molecule and it was the molecule of the biscuit. tin. It was the main aroma molecule that that is the biscuit tin smell that real biscuity malty smell that i think most most of us love and there's flavors you perceive and there's what's actually happening in your in, in your nose at the time they're not always the same but i remember that dunking biscuits accentuated the um, the biscuit tin flavor mainly because it sort of hydrated the biscuit and and we've talked about this in the airline show when your nostrils are a little bit more hydrated, a bit more humidity. That moisture enables you to per, per, uh, perceive flavour more than in a really dry environment. So that's a long-winded answer to my childhood memories of biscuits. I, what biscuits did I love? It, well, dunking was such a part of my childhood. So I, I can't even say I have a best dunking biscuit They're all different. It's like you need the top trumps of dunkers. So let's take rich tea. There's an interesting one. Oh, now you're talking. Top trumps of dunkers. Come on then. Okay, so rich tea would score incredibly badly at longevity and amount of dunks. But if you wanted the Russian roulette of dunkers, it would be rich (laughs) tea. Because you dunk it and it looks fine and you dunk it again and it looks fine and you think I'll go one more dunk and then you pull the biscuit out and you've got the last quarter of it between your thumb and forefinger and the rest of it. You've, You've not only lost the biscuit but you've messed your cup of tea up at the same time. That's so the problem with dunking
0: fundamentally that I have with it. You're ruining two great things.
1: Well, that with the rich tea, if you don't get it right, it's the biscuit that laughs at you and makes your <laughs> tea laugh at you as well. But to get it right, if you just get it the, to the bit before, it, it can also be rewarding. But then longevity is another thing. I'm, for me, I still I would go automatically go to... I know there's a lot of enthusiasm with Hobnobs. I like great biscuits, but... A chocolate digestive,
0: yeah, uh, milk chocolate it, or dark chocolate.
1: I'd say milk, but I had I haven't eaten a chocolate digestive for the, probably in the last year or so. But I think there might be moments for dark chocolate as well. But I always think about dunking them, or if not dunking, there's a I for me there's a big difference in pleasure when you have a cup of tea that is not napalm heat, but it's is sippable, so you can bite the biscuit and then put the tea in your mouth. That tea and biscuits. So I think the I think the digestive is still holds its uh, its place as one of the you know on the throne of the throne of biscuits.
0: I used to think that the bourbon would be a good dunker because it's quite strong but it doesn't I don't know why it doesn't really hold its own at dunking. It's not as uh, and the custard cream both of them I think fail a bit. I think the digestive like you say there's something about the that maybe the the, the mixture of chocolate
1: yeah i think the chocolate's on one side of the digested but on a custard cream although those custard creams do remind me of my childhood i have to say but not i don't think of custard creams and dunking but the milk the chocolate on the one side of the biscuit i think makes a difference with the bourbon and the custard cream i think the biscuits you upset the balance of the biscuit because the biscuits start to go and then and but the but the the cream or the paste in the middle of it doesn't doesn't in the same way that the chocolate coating on the outside of a digestive with a quick dunk to warm it without melting it. Oh, now you're talking.
0: You said an interesting thing to me when we were chatting on Wednesday. You said to, I said to you, oh, the other day I ate a digestive upside down, a chocolate digestive, yeah. and it was a completely yeah. different experience. It was actually mm-hmm. don't ask why, but it was dark at the time, so I didn't know which way up the biscuit was going to be. In fact, I didn't even know what biscuit was. I just grabbed the biscuit and ate it upside yeah. down. And I thought I was eating something completely different. And it sounds ludicrous because it's it's, all you've done is turn a digestive upside down. But you said there was a reason for that.
1: Well, if you think about your, the receptors, the, 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 the textural receptors, let's say. I'm not, uh, I, taste receptors, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm guessing that there would be a difference. Maybe not massive, but there is a difference between the receptors on the roof of your mouth and your tongue. So if you think about putting a biscuit in, a, a, a chocolate-coated biscuit in the right way up or the normal way up the chocolate would be would hit the roof of your mouth and your tongue will be touching the biscuit if you if you go up if you put it upside down i'm not saying the experience will be better or worse but it will certainly be different unless you go up eating the biscuits that way And that in, in which case eating them the normal way will also seem a bit weird for a period of time until you get used to it i think
0: we also have other ones that fall under the umbrella of biscuits but i don't think about probably since I turned 10. Things like uh, party rings, uh, iced gems. I
1: mean, the colour of those party rings. And jammy dodgers as well. Don't you find, they they were the biscuits you, you tend to either eat when the others have run out and then maybe you wouldn't eat too many, but you might eat one and think, oh yeah, these aren't that bad actually, are they? They're quite interesting. I remember, it just reminded me of something else that when my... It was like a relative of ours came over if it was lunch and they bought and it, it was a special occasion biscuit that you used to be able to buy from the sweet shop. It was in a tin, a brown tin. They were round and I, I, hopefully as I'm talking, I'll get the name. They were chocolate covered. Ah, there. And I just remembered the name of a, of a, of a head of state or dignified famous person. Bath Oliver's. Chocolate Bath Never Oliver's. Heard
0: of that. I thought you were going to say Viscount oh, they... then. Bath Oliver, no, I've Barth- never heard of that.
1: James, could you could you have a look? I've just, Absolutely, but Bath remember. Oliver,
2: well, the chocolate yeah. Bath Oliver is a, is, a, is a lot later, but the Bath Oliver biscuit has been around for, for quite a while. Um, so sort of the eighteen hundred, mid-1800s, whatever, they 1850, 1860, um, and obviously were produced in Bath by um, Mr. Oliver, who I think, well... Originally by Mr. Oliver, and then I think was purchased by someone else. But I'm going to check that fact. But the chocolate version came a bit later, which is it is probably in the 1920s,
1: 1930s. They became really. I just remembered the brown. That was the first. I think that's the first biscuit I can remember being packaged, like, where, where it was only one type of biscuit in a tin. It was a circular. It was a tube, a brown tube. I don't know why I remember it being as a special occasion, but they were a bit too adult for me, I think, at the time. Shortbread, those butter shortbreads, and the lemony buttery shortbreads—they're great dunkers,
0: I think. I only came to those in adult life. You know, I've got a sweet tooth, but for me, I did not like shortbread until I became an adult. I just didn't like it compared to a chocolate digestive.
1: I've got to say this. I have to say this because obviously, I have a, I have a physical personal connection with them. Ginger nuts. <laughs>
0: ginger nuts. Again, one <laughs> I prefer. As a kid, you'd have a ginger nut, but it was like, mm, okay, because it was all that was left in the tin. Yeah. Now as an adult, great and actually quite an adult taste with the the, the, the strong ginger in it and
1: yeah, it's funny. Do you, I remember when we did the tea break show. Do you remember we made the world's largest digestive biscuit and we went is isn't it? It's United Biscuits, so we went to the factory. We had a look how they were made. It was actually very interesting. I remember that when they when they. Those holes in the biscuit, I think, uh, to help you na- enable the steam to come out to get an even cook. And do you remember the oven was like a conveyor belt where they cooked them at different... It went through different temperature ranges to get the evenness of cooking. And then they put they put ammonia in the biscuits. Really? There was a smell of ammonia. And I asked what it was for, and it. I think it helped them cook evenly and also acted as, as a preservative. But it, they never put it... They're going to probably kill me for this, but they never went onto the labels of the biscuits because it was... I think it was sufficiently boiled or through the roasting process. You can decide whether you put this in or not, Jay. <laughs> uh, the uh, um, the section
0: you're about to hear has now been deleted from the podcast due to legal reasons. <laughs>
1: Anything said from this point on shouldn't be counted against
0: Mr. Heston Blue with all journey to the Central Food. <laughs> Fine, done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but then we we then made those giant digestive biscuits, which was and an, for that huge dunking in that huge cup of tea, and you helicoptered the packet to um where was it? Outside Blackburn.
0: It was yeah. It was in the north. It was a lovely, lovely little town, and it was near. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was near Blackburn, wasn't it? And it was brilliant. We had a gigantic teacup, and the, these digestives were so big you needed two people to lift them up. And there was something about it of all the big things that we did. That was the one that looked most evocative. I thought.
1: Do you remember? They were it, it, the whole program was about because it was. was the name of the town which we could we we, can be able, we should be able to find just outside Blackburn. It was the centre. It was a big. Mining center, mining and manufacturing center, because there were lots of big old chimneys. And we announced a tea break. We trucked in this giant teapot with a giant tea bag. Remember, we made trying to make these giant triangular tea bags and giant biscuits. And you helicoptered the packet of biscuits in. And then we had this crowd and we got two people to come out for the crowd to dunk a biscuit. And we were saying how t- the tea break brought people together. It was a bit like going down the pub after work. You know, pubs were, 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 gave opportunities of social gathering. And do you remember that man and woman both worked in the same factory about something like 30, 40, 50 years ago. And that was the first time they'd met since they were in that factory together, and they didn't realise until they started chatting in the middle of filming, standing by that giant teapot, teacup. Uh, Absolutely, tea
0: I'd forgotten all about that. And it felt like, and it sounded like one of those awfully trite, sort of made for TV moments. But it really, we're not that
1: good. Yeah, you couldn't make this up. It was it <laughs> was an amazing. moment. It was moment. lovely. That and
0: why on earth I can't remember why, but for some reason I remember shooting a sequence with you with a fake moustache on. Going into an office. What were you doing?
1: Hang on, hang on, Jay. Can I just, and and, uh, everyone listening, can I just clarify something? Let me say, what were you doing? Whilst the food ideas were were my driving force, some of the more creative um, ideas behind the scenes that we, we, the scenes we were going to shoot did not come from me, Jay Taylor. (laughs) No, they did not. And I remember arriving, I arrived in this, it was like, an office for a factory just out this in this town outside Blackburn I've got to remember the name of this town Darwin 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 yeah my you can choose to put this in or not but my dad's best friend was from Darwin and he died a long time ago but I always remember him telling me that he told my dad that Blackburn's the arse end of England and Darwin is two miles up it wow so, there we um, are. Thank <laughs> you. Thank we Just like thank all our, all
0: our listeners from Darwin and Blackburn. We hope you've enjoyed it. We won't ever hear from you again, but you know.
1: But I thought it was. I thought it was very. It was a very quaint time, but it had a lot. Of, it had a lot of history, and we were we were in the modern offices. And I don't even think you told me what I was going to be doing.
0: No, you were studying how long people came together to make have a tea break.
1: Yeah, but you didn't explain to me that I was going to be taken into the paper storage room behind the photocopying area of this office. Be given a blue one-piece uh, to zip up, a comedic handlebar moustache, ah. a set of glasses the lenses are so thick I couldn't see through. it, Funny cap and like a case. I was meant to be the. I was meant to be the. I was, the, I was the plumber or the electrician, and the idea <laughs> that I was like a just dodgy observing. Porno. <laughs> yeah, like a dodgy porno, and I was observing what would happen around the tea break and how it would bring people together and was it bringing people together as key research for my uh food development thank
0: you i know we're deviating a bit but there was there was tea and biscuits involved during that shoot you went around for this bit we were trying to uh get the mayor of the town on board to be involved in the filming so she could come and you know cut a ribbon on the cup or whatever it was so we arranged to meet her in a local cafe and uh i was out and about and i had a call from one of the researchers and saying oh we've got we've got the mayor, she's waiting for you in the cafe, come and meet her. So I went up there and I sat down, had a lovely chat with the mayor of the town. Um, and then halfway through it, I had another call from one of the other uh, producers saying, "Hey, um, I've got the mayor here. What do you want to do with her? So <laughs> I I what like do you mean you've got the mayor this? here? He said, yeah, we've got the mayor here. I said, okay, wh- who am I talking to then? And it transpired that the researcher had just found a old lady who was having to hang around outside the cafe, collared her brought her in sat her down presumed she was the mayor we chatted to her and then once we once we realized the actual mayor was outside and she was wearing a huge mayor's chain you know like the full-on god. thing <laughs> yeah like
1: like like your stereotypic image of a mayor like Couldn't a mayor. anybody else the
0: yeah. worst thing was the poor old lady that we first brought in i said okay i better go now and the research just got rid of her i don't know what you did with her. she just hustled thanks goodbye <laughs> she had a lovely time just, okay bye we'll see you later bye yeah. We're talking about, obviously, the digestives, the boar ones, the custard creams of this world. But where do you sit
1: on a club?
0: If you like a lot of chocolate on your biscuit...
1: Join the club. I haven't eaten one for years. Uh, I don't think I was a big fan. I didn't mind them if there was nothing else left to eat. But I, I thought... I, it's a bit like penguins as well. Well, they're in the chocolate bar zone, aren't they? We put those in the chocolate bar episode. <laughs> well, we did, we did, but there's more biscuit. I think there's more mass... I think volume of biscuit in a penguin than there's chocolate. I, that might I might be wrong, but so then that goes into we come back into the chocolate show, and now we took well, then we go into Tim Tams. And I think if if I saw Club Penguin or Tim Tams on the shelves, there would we'll go straight for the Tim Tams. So that's um, although I do remember the Club, I remember enjoying the chocolate around the Club more than the Club. They had a ridge, didn't they? It was like a uh, on the top of it was like a picture frame around the top with something embossed in the chocolate. And I always think of orange, an orange paper with fairly thick sort of paper foil wrapper. Yeah. And then I, I think I would sort of, you know, squirrel-like nibble the chocolate off the biscuit, which I didn't really tend to do with biscuit. I'm I'm, I'm riffing here. I'm talking and thinking and remembering at the same time.
0: I like, I like the fact we're developing the Heston Blumenthal scale of biscuitedness and the way they sit on these is how, how much they are a biscuit. Because also... What about wafers? Just in terms of the actual creation process, are wafer biscuits made in a completely different way to biscuits? Or do they even fall into the same category?
1: Well, I mean, they're, they're made in a similar way in the sense that it is basically flour and sugar. Baked, but they might have egg whites in them. They're much lighter. I Wafer, a good wafer. I love a good wafer. I didn't, I didn't even think about those. Thanks, Jay. Pink wafers. Pink wafers, yeah. Pink wafers. And the blue ribbon. They, that the, was
0: obviously wafer inside, right?
1: And the, oh, God, i are fine now. And the blue ribbon, <laughs> and then those ones that they've crept in. I saw them in. They're being service stations, sort of in Italy and maybe in France. So now I think they're in high street coffee places. I don't know if it's Café Nero or, or, or Costa Coffee or, or Pret a Manger or whatever. There's so so many, but you see them at the counter where they. I think they're Italian. They're wafer. I know the ones wafer you're biscuit. About. And they can be really, ni- really nice as well. Foreign, right. foreign biscuits, as we know them. It's that foreign mark, isn't it? But I don't <laughs> know if they—I don't know if they dunk. Does any culture? This has been interesting right? We didn't cover this in our, in, in our tea break show and the work we did on biscuits through there, or or some of the other shows that I've done. I haven't thought about this. Does any country dunk like us Brits?
0: What well, the biscotti in Italy? Having crunched through those for a few years, well, wondering uh, why yeah, you no, like no, these yes. biscuits. That I, I didn't realise you're supposed to put them in or coffee so i just thought they were awful actually
1: that's a, that's a good point that'd be the interesting one they're absolutely designed to dunk but does anyone dunk biscuits in tea i mean the french have and and i don't know our uh, brits have took a while to get our heads around this but have a whacking great pot of milky coffee for breakfast this is pretty you know our love for flat white and and uh, you know the difference latte flat white cappuccinos esp- espressos etc but big mug of creamy coffee and then you would take your croissant or your baguette and you dip it in the coffee. So there's a, there's a dunking. I just think dunking biscuits in tea, I don't know, I think that might be a, a wonderfully British thing. If it's not, I'm going to claim it just for now. I would love it to know, actually, any of our listeners.
0: I know we've got some listeners up there in Scandinavia. I reckon out of all of, of Europe and, and, and beyond, they're probably the place that we're most likely to find dunkers. It just feels like because it's cold a bit of dunking up there would go down well I'd love to hear do do write in to us if you are if dunking is part of the culture what kind of biscuits are you at in France now what kind of biscuits do they, do they
1: eat biscuits in France in, in Brittany they make oh they make fantastic ones they're galette breton they're, they're galette, they call them galette which is the galette is sort of between biscuit and a cake but they're shortbread biscuits glazed and they're made with sort of butter and salt <clears throat> and they can be fantastic so, yeah, there's an awful lot of biscuits, awful lot of biscuits here.
0: What can you share about doing it ourselves?
1: Well, the, 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 the main things to remember is that I touched on it earlier, short bread. So crunchy, crumbly biscuits, the pastry is short. And when pastry is short, you, that, that's because you want to minimise the development of gluten. So gluten is when you take a dough, If the easiest way to have a look at gluten is put flour and water together and start molding it, bashing it and stretching it with your hands. It gets more elastic. When you bake that, you ain't gonna get a crumbly biscuit at all. That's sort of the basis of bread dough. So you want to stop the formation or the development of the gluten. How do you do that? You need to protect the the flour because the gluten's in the flour. It's water, uh, applied to flour with the, where the gluten's in directly and then mixed and it develops. It goes all elastic and stretchy. We don't want them sticky. So that's why traditionally for a short bread or short crust pastry, you mix the, butter, the, you mix the flour with fat. So it's, it, it, there's arguments to say you, you don't need to sieve flour, but it's always safer if in doubt, sieve the flour, avoids any clumps, but have your butter cold. That's important. So, if you're putting, but this is more for pastry where you put the flour, you're, and when you, c- you can cut with a knife, you can use your fingers, but your fingers need to stay cold. And the purpose of this is you, when you used to, use two, one way is using two knives, you just keep cutting, cutting in the bowl, and you're, you're gradually coating the grains of flour with fat from butter. You can do it in a food processor, but if you do it in a food processor, you have to be very careful, the butter needs to be very cold because the blades go so fast, it can bring the water, because butter contains a lot of water, it can actually bring the water out of the butter, the emulsion, and bring it into contact with the flour. So you do it make sure your butter's cold. Now, the main difference between what I've just mentioned, which is a bit more pastry base, the biscuit base is similar, but first, you would traditionally mix the butter with sugar. Again, keep the butter cold, so the water does not; it has less effect on dissolving the sugar because those little granules of sugar, when you, then you incorporate the other ingredients, they will help aerate the butter, which will make the biscuit more airy at the end. Also, the sugar plays a really important role, not only in the obvious one of sweetness, but in the texture of the biscuit. And there is something called the glass transition phase of sugar. And that is when it goes through a a temperature range where all the molecules sort of melt. And they it's like um, packing a suitcase. If if you're not like me and you're an expert at packing a suitcase, everything fits in nicely with very little gaps. Well, if you try and pack it quickly at the end of a trip and you just shove everything in scrunched up, you can't close your suitcase. So the sugar's a bit like that. The more compact, when you go through its glass transition phase, all those molecules get really squashed together and tightly compacted, which means it's less ready to absorb water and it's more crispy or crunchy. So a brandy snap, for example, again, has a slightly different texture. So you can put more sugar in and then cook it longer for higher over its glass transition phase. When it cools down, you'll have a, a, a much... You know, it's the difference between crisp and crunch isn't they aren't quite the same so that's why so you what you would do is take flour sieve the flour have the butter nice and cold and you'd cream wooden spoon you just the sugar and the butter it doesn't have to dissolve it's really the little granules of sugar creating aerating the butter but don't let it get too warm put it back in the fridge then you'd incorporate that chopped up butter to the flour. So the flour is now coated with a sugary buttery mixture without being in contact with the water, which protects it from its gluten. And then you finish off, if you're gonna add whole uh, eggs, put put the yolks in first, put the whites in last, because the egg whites are mostly water. So you need to protect your fat from the water in order to make your pastry short and nice and crumbly and lovely and buttery. Uh, And then when you bake it, you can, you can make your pinpricks over here if you want to help with even more even cooking. What I tend to do is cook at two different temperatures. So I'll cook longer at a slightly lower temperature, say 120, 130, until you get a nice even cook. Then you can then take the biscuits out of the oven, crank the oven up to 150, 180, and put them back in, in again and keep an eye on them. So you can get the balance of making sure they're cooked to the level you want them to and then brown them. And there's many variations. You've got little pockets of chocolate in there, in which case you have to change the oven if you want to have them still soft when you bite into the biscuit. But that's, that's a basic... You know, the role of the ingredients in biscuit making are, are basically butter, sugar, flour, eggs, a bit of water or cream. And vital is salt. So that's a, that. That was a, that was a sort of whistle stop tour of baking a biscuit. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's wonderful, and 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 we're almost. I didn't realise we we're almost running out of time on this as well. Uh, James, just want to briefly tune in with you on this uh, before we close the biscuit tin.
2: What uh, what facts have you been finding along the way? Oh well, the world of biscuits is, is 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 it's like the world of of I don't know. It's just like the universe. I mean, there are so many. So many stories and individual biscuits that, that, that leap out of you. And as you're talking, obviously, I was looking up Jammy Dodgers and Jammy Dodgers are another celebrity-endorsed biscuit, obviously named after Roger the Dodger from Nabino, created by, by Burton's biscuit makers. I mean, as, as, you, know, as you know, biscuits are, are a vehicle for promotion. You know, you're trying to get the biscuit in front of whoever might be interested in something else because we all love biscuits. And, and the journey of that biscuit as a, as a snack now has gone from being a, a medicinal, or, or actually a meal replacement. I mean, for, for a long period of time in the Victorian England, it was it was it was considered a meal. A biscuit was a meal. You would have a biscuit and a piece of cheese as your lunch. That was the, you know, the the, the, the sort of the lunch of the working man. But uh, nowadays we see them as a snack item, which we just have all the time. So that's why chocolate is is mostly on most biscuits, and that's quite a, a late invention. And some of these ones, like the the hobnob, I mean, yeah. Barely. I mean, they were invented in the 80s. I mean, you know, they, you know they're, they're really? so new. Yes, absolutely. And it's just a a constantly evolving, changing universe of of different snackable items. And the brandy snap, which Heston just mentioned, there is and got an incredible history dating back to the fairgrounds of England. You know, the, the goose fair in Nottingham would have brandy snap stalls where people would queue up and have a brandy snap with whatever inside. Whether I'm not sure whether it be cream or or nothing, I don't know. But you know, each one of these little biscuits has a has a huge journey from from someone's initial recipe. But I also think there's a good opportunity here to, to, to for Heston, you to get your name either the, the
0: jammy Heston or the, the chocolate Blumenthal. Come on, that's probably well I did,
1: we, we did we did talk about after doing the show, we wanted to we were we were in the process of actually doing trying to do a paper to show that, that you know the effect of a dunking biscuit and, 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 and try and make the first ever biscuit that was designed specifically for the pleasure of dunkers and dunking what a great idea also not to not to forget that we touched on it um james touched on it earlier but the cream crackers jacobs cream crackers and they are i think the the, the cream bit come from the creaming process something when you, so when you mix the sugar and butter in a biscuit that's a, you cream that's what it's called that's the the name to explain creaming the butter with the sugar well Jacob's biscuits don't I don't think they they have if they have any sugar it's hardly any but it was to do with the creaming process but I wanted to mention most people know this but if you don't it's a great it's it'll give your mates uh or you will have a laugh at them or vice versa which is try and eat two cream crackers in one minute and you think but you can't. The, the only stipulations: you cannot drink a single thing. So you 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 have to try and. and you get through. You get you get halfway there, and you think this is going to be so easy, and then all of a sudden, it just it's like the biscuit laughs at you because it sucks all of the moisture from. a bit like a hobnob can 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 consume your cup of tea. This can consume all the saliva in your mouth, and then you just you can't eat them. You think it's such an easy bet to hurry up and do this any day?
2: Well, we have to revisit biscuits. I think we do because Jacob's obviously are from Ireland. So there's a whole world of Irish biscuit development that uh, we, haven't even, we haven't even touched on, which came over to, to the United Kingdom and then off into the world. And, and obviously, Jacob's cream crackers are made with a fermented dough, which is also quite unusual in the biscuit world.
1: Yeah, got, they've got... I think they've got yeast. They've got yeast mm. in it. In and that.
2: so their journey, their story, it's, it, it ties in and touches into the, the world of pasteurisation and the slow acceptance of fermented foods being actually not evil and bad and rotten and mouldy, but actually very good for us. So their little rise to fame is is tied in with a whole load of other stories.
1: Embracing fermented, going going from a period of evolution where we probably had no choice, fermentation happened sort of accidentally and probably some really stinky stuff that was very hard to consume to actually embracing it, embracing fermentation without which you wouldn't have beer, marmite or Vegemite or you wouldn't have so many things. Now it's all very... It's all very cool, it's all very cool and and trendy, but just that whole world, that's a fascinating one. There was one thing I just, before we go, had a question, because you mentioned this earlier. Why are nice biscuits called nice? Because they were nice was sort of in a, they were sort of a nothing biscuit, but actually they they were nice. You know, people sometimes say nice is a horrible word. How was everything? Nice, what does that mean? It's nice, it's nice. It is nice. It's just it's not good, it's not bad, it's just nice. They're not
2: Nice biscuits or anything like that, are they? Well, they were made by Huntley and Palmer. So they they're gonna be from your your way we started with the, the biscuit town um in Reading and, and apparently the catchphrase for them when they launched was delightful as the town after which they are named. So maybe they are named after Nice, but made in Reading. So maybe, you know, there's I was
0: gonna say it's strange. I mean, again, not trying to offend and alienate all of our listeners, but I'm not sure you want to invoke Reading as a sort of uh, location.
1: (laughs) I lived lived close enough to Reading to be offended if I I should should have been. (laughs) But uh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, Oh, hang on. I've just found, apparently, it it is pronounced Nice. And they were named after the city of the south of France and pronounced... The name, uh, and pronounced the same as that city. They have been part of Arnott's range since 1922. So there you have it. So we've like been it saying more. it wrong
0: all this time. They are Nice biscuits.
1: Uh, named because of their nice taste. Apparently changed when Queen Victoria visited Nice in France and took these, her favourite biscuits, with her. See, this is all apocryphal so, now, isn't
0: it? No one's going to, yeah. We'll have no, to get no, on to no, the
1: that's a really good, that's a great story. They, they originally said, which James touched on, they were, did they you say they were yummy or delicious or something? So they were nice biscuits. and then Delightful. Delightful biscuits. So they're nice. And then that was changed when she went to Nice in France and took them with her. So Nice became Nice. So who said gastronomy started in France?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and on that, on that lovely biscuit, that here, no. please do send in, first of all, or we need all your questions for Christmas, but also we'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the top trumps of biscuits. We know there's lots we've missed, and uh, we'd like to hear specifically from all around the world, actually, everywhere and anywhere with biscuits. We want to hear your biscuit traditions. Uh, Heston's podcast at gmail.com or at Heston's podcast on Instagram. Please send everything in.
2: And we haven't mentioned Anzac biscuits, and knowing we've got some listeners uh, down under. As it were
1: oh my god how come how i i'm actually sh- i'm ashamed i haven't forgot that they are anzac biscuits are it's an institution that's a that's a podcast right there yeah <laughs> definitely definitely I, I i'd like to know dear listeners i'll be interested to see what is the most bizarre unusual surprising liquid or thing you've dipped a biscuit into Ooh.
0: okay I, I, I shudder to think some of the answers are going to get to that. What a question that is. Wonderful. Well, James, thank you ever so much for all the history there. And Heston, I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. That has flown by. For now, all that's left to do is say thank you and goodbye, Heston. Thank you, chaps.